Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the Brickflips Frightfest Preview Podcast. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast, Frightfest series previews. Um, today I've got with me Jared. Is it Rivet or Rivet? Yes. Did I get uh, it right? Rivet. I should have asked you. Before, yeah, I'm, I? I'm sure it's the Americanized, you know, uh, kind of bastardized version. It, it is French Canadian. I'm 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 American, but it's French Canadian, and I'm sure, but it's but it's Jared Rivet. Okay, well we'll go with you. We'll go with what you tell us rather than try and tell you what it is. Um, and we're here to talk about your film Jackals, which is playing at um, Frightfest this year, which is very right. exciting for you, I guess. Very exciting. Now you're the screenwriter very. of this project. Yes. So, cast your mind back because I'm sure you can. Because even <laughs> even the shortest of projects is casting your mind back for the screenwriter who's involved in a project. Always so, a long process. So, well, before we do the, the building of it, let's, let's give people the, the, the headlines now. So what, give us a synopsis yeah. as to what Jackals is that we're going to see at the cinema in Bank Holiday August weekend. Jackals is a movie directed by Kevin Groydert, who mm-hmm. is the director of Saw 6 and Saw 3D, the final chapter. Uh, Saw 6 is easily one of the better ones. He was also um, the editor of all of the Saw movies. Okay. Um, and Jackals is a, I mean, I'll call, you know, I, I'm a horror guy. It's definitely a horror movie. I think they want to, they want me to call it a psychological thriller, but it's definitely a horror movie and it definitely would, would, will appeal to the horror crowd. It is, um, it's set in the 1980s and a cult deprogrammer is hired by a family to kidnap their son out of a, they're not a satanic cult. They were a satanic cult, but they're they're a dangerous cult. They're they're a bunch of homicidal wackos, um, and he has gotten roped into this cult. So the culty programmer 
kidnaps him out of the cult and takes him to a the family's cabin in the woods where they tie him to a chair and they're going to start doing the whole cult deprogramming process, which is very arduous. He's been badly brainwashed. He's very kind of evil. They don't really recognize him. And while all of that awfulness is going on inside the cabin, the cult shows up outside and they want him back. They do very much want him yes. back. Yes. He, he warned them and they wouldn't yes. listen. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, it's always the jerk inside the house in a siege movie that that's the right, that's 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 right. You know, it's it's always going to be the uh, the the asshole character <laughs> that's telling everybody, "Look, here's what we have to do." No, 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 that's not. No, that's terrible. No, and it's all they're always right. So yes, he's the one that's telling them, "Look, just just let me go." You know, um, but yeah, it's um, it's my first produced uh, feature. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, I'm very proud of it. I'm really uh, excited that it's playing at Fright uh, Fest. And um, it'll be coming out here uh, in the States in September. I know it's getting international release, but I'm not exactly sure when and where. Okay. Um, but I wrote the first day from casting my mind back. Yeah, I'm going to get back on track. Go on, go on. Where did you, where did you, where, where are you, how did you conceive this idea? Because obviously the 1980s is one thing. Yes. Yep. Yep, which, by the way, when, when I tell you how old the script is, it's not because it's a zeitgeist uh, <laughs> topic right now. Um, I wrote the script in uh, 2006. Wow. Um, late, late 2006, and then I did some revisions on it, and the version that went out to everybody was in kind of March or April of 2007, I think. So okay. we are literally 10 years from when the script started floating around and 11 years from when I actually sat you know, put pen to paper. Um, the idea for it was um, at some point in the 2000s, I started thinking about uh, the whole satanic panic uh, phenomenon in the 80s and how big it was, how much of a, when I was, you know, I, I was born in the 70s and so I grew up in the 80s and in the 80s, and I know it was worldwide, I don't know how big it was uh, outside of the States, but in the States, there was like active paranoia on the streets about children being, uh, you know, grabbed and thrown into the backs of uh, mysterious vans and then taken out into the woods and tied to posts. And there would be, you know, satanic rituals and they would be sacrificed and there would be blood orgies and all this other stuff. Now, you know, in the 90s, we found out that a lot... There's never been any evidence of it, other than, you know... That's, the, weird, that's the amazing yeah. thing about the satanic panic, isn't it? They've never actually right. found so, one of these right. satanic cults yet. <laughs> yeah, so I was always kind of intrigued. And then in the 90s, we found out about uh, regression therapy and how that was, you know, people were creating false memories and all this other stuff. So it's it's a complex thing, and I was just shocked that nobody had made a movie about it. Mm. Uh, so I wanted to see one, and the more research I did, and I, I wanted to kind of play out a what if, like play out what if one was real, what would they really be like, what would mm. their practices be, what would they be like on a regular day, what would they be like at, at the height of uh, frenzy. And so the more research I did, the more I realized, like, this is nasty, nasty, horrible, awful stuff. Like, this is NC-17, this is hard 18, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No way, no way anyone is going to give me money to put this on the screen, and it certainly isn't going to get released anywhere. So I kind of sat on it for a little while, and then I was working at an office that did transcription services, mm -hmm. and a transcript came along for, it was an interview 
with a uh, culty programmer who uh, like retired old dude that used to do culty programming in the 80s. Right. And culty programming was now. So the weird thing is these two things kind of correspond because the rise of cults in the 80s kind of gave rise to the satanic panic thing. It was you know along with Christian fears and all kinds of other stuff that were going on in the era. But the, the, the culty programming thing was real. Now, culty programmers, on the other hand, could be anybody. They were basically bounty hunter psychologists, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a cool, you know, so once I saw that, once I was reading this guy's transcript, and, you know, culty programming was a really shady practice, they would take people's money, and then they would go and rough somebody up and, and you know, bring them someplace and try to pound the brainwashing out of them through these really arduous process. Now they would have interventions or something. They would have these really polite, you know, uh, get-togethers or parties where somebody thinks they're going just to, to, to have drinks or whatever, and then they sit down. So we're here to talk to you about your problems. Um, <laughs> this was more like, you know, kidnapping somebody off of the street and dragging them someplace against their will. And so, you know, credentials were not really, it was a part of the equation, um, you know, safety, health, uh, choice. You know, if you kidnap somebody off the street, you're kidnapping somebody off the street. Um, half the time when someone was kidnapped by a deprogrammer and taken uh, over a weekend or over a few days to be deprogrammed, they would just go along with whatever it was and then run right back to the cult or they would go to the police and they would say, look, I was kidnapped. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an adult, you know, I'm, I'm 21 years old and I was taken against my will. Um, so it was fascinating to read all of the culty programming, but there was nothing anywhere that kind of said, well, what if you were to put these two things together? What, what was, what, to out of interest, what was, what's the legal, like, if you and I set ourselves up tomorrow as mm -hmm. culty programmers, mm -hmm. and we got some, we, we, we bunged some 25-year-old bloke right. in the back of our van because that, that <laughs> his, his parents were worried he'd, be, right. he'd become right. children of God or whatever religion, whatever yeah. religion offshoot he'd managed to get into right is it us breaking we, the law or is this oh yeah oh yeah we, we'd, we'd be in jail we'd be in jail within like 48 hours it's we'd, so you know, bonkers and, isn't it it's so yeah bonkers. yeah no it's it's crazy and, and that was the, so that was the problem that was why it stopped the practice mm. basically stopped it was kind of a hot thing they made a couple of dramas uh about it they made a movie called split image they made a movie um the definitive split image i i think is the definitive one but there was one that everybody saw and i think of what it's called right now but um, they were dramas. They were hardcore, you know, heavy uh, uh, dramas about what, uh, what these processes are like. I hadn't seen the horror version of one. Mm. And it seemed like, well, these two things, like, these are, uh, uh, you know, the, 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 the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. It's the two great tastes that taste great together. It's like, okay, culty programming and the satanic panic, boom. And then what I, what I also realized putting them together was I didn't have to show all of the horrible things that I was worried about. I know it's like, well, how am I going to pull off any of these things? How am I going to show them? If they tie the kid to a chair and talk to him and have him describe some of the things, mm. and I, you're putting pictures in people's heads, it's even worse, um, and you're able to utilize it. You're able to, to, to use that stuff. So that was the inspiration. And honestly, once I read that transcript, I, the whole thing just fell into place in my head. I mean, it, it really wrote, I mean, I wouldn't say it wrote itself because then, you know, 10 years. Uh, but honestly, like the primary structure of what you see in the final film has remained virtually the same, um, except for the ending. The, the original script had a big, big, crazy, expensive 
ending that would never ever uh, have been. Uh, everybody for years told me to get rid of the ending, get rid of the big ending, and mm. so I just kept fighting and fighting. No, no, no. The big ending is, you know, I was trying to be Mr. Artiste. I was trying to be, uh, uh, you know, someone that uh, called all the shots. Not knowing that I was an unproduced screenwriter and that, that people were like, well, that's fine, but we're not going to make it, so thank you very much. But if I had just taken the big ending off in 2007, then the movie would have been made 10 years ago. Um, so once I decided to take the big ending off, what you see is pretty much what I wrote. It's, it's changed a little bit, but um, it's one of those stories and one of those scripts that people – because I've had every possible – I've written many, many, many feature spec scripts. I've written probably over 40 scripts, mm. and this was the this is the first produced one, and it's 10 years old. Um, and honestly, I've had scripts that people that, you know, look, read them and said, look, I don't want to touch this. This is, this is great. Hopefully we can shoot this as is, or, you know, we'll make some changes here and there based on practicality and whatnot. But yeah. other than that, like, this is great. We don't want to touch it. And then I've gone all the way through the spectrum to, okay, we like the idea of this script, but we basically want you to throw it away and start over again with a completely different approach. Wow. So the idea that, A, it's my first thing, B, it's not a remake of anything or a sequel, uh, and C, that it's basically what I wrote, and I was heavily involved. I've been heavily involved all the way through. I continue to be heavily involved uh, with all the promotional stuff and everything that's going on now. It's, I, I know how, how uh, spoiled I am that, that this does not normally happen. Well, you know. well, then, well, then think, thinking about that process, I mean, in terms of the, the sort of blowing hot and cold from the moment when you first wrote that first version of it. Yes, um, yes. And you say that basically at some point between then and now, or sorry, yes. between then and it becoming produced, you basically yes. downsize the end of it yes. to, be, to be more affordable as a whole production. Yes, because that was that was a practical thing. I had the version that I kept pushing and kept pushing, and I mm. kept rewriting it and changing it. And different directors, I mean, some, some big people, um, I'll, I'll name drop, I don't, no one's told me that I can't say this, but basically the whole bunch of directors have wanted to do this script over the years, um, starting with Toby Hooper. Mm, wow. Um, Toby Hooper was the first guy that was on it, and the ending was much more uh, like the third act of Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. Okay. And so I had kind of written it with him in mind at the time, to be honest, and, and we had the same manager at the time. And so I, he read it and was like, yep, this is the next thing I want to do. We tried to get it made. He almost got it made three different times uh, before it just fell through and he finally just gave up. But I, you know, uh, Darren Bousman was going to do it at one point. Um, and so what was happening over the years between like Toby and Darren and then Kevin Greuter was... I kept running into the problem with the ending, and I, I wish I could exaggerate. I, I wish, but it was like easily seven or eight possible, uh, you know, green light, possible moving forward on production, and them saying we got to get rid of this ending. So when that that happened, like the seventh or eighth time, I finally came home one day and told my then wife, like, okay, I'm going to take the Christmas break. I had a day job. I'm going to take the Christmas break and I'm going to do this thing. And she just looked at me like, are you sure? And I said, yep, I'm going to do it. I'm going to take off the ending. I'm going to rewrite the script and restructure it so that it doesn't need the big third act ending. And, uh, and then we're going to see what happens. And I'll tell you, I did it in a week. And when I gave it to my agents and my manager, they flipped. They were like, oh, thank God you finally did it. <laughs> and, she sent it out, and then we started getting bites. And honestly, from then, it wasn't the every six months somebody kind of calling 
to ask about it, which was happening all the way through production. I actually got an email. We were on the set, and I got an email from somebody asking what was going on with that script. Because mm. uh, I just, and it's weird because I honestly, I only have like three of those. I have, I've written over 40 scripts. I only have three scripts that I've written where people check in with me once every few months and say, oh, what's going on with it? Because I, I, I really love that script and I really want to do it. Um, so once I cut off the big third act, we started getting a lot of interest and the, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm guessing just from, from uh, experience and, and being around all this stuff that even when things start to chug forward, it's rare that they kind of overnight, like if you get something going, I mean, it took a year from when I was told that we had financing. Mm. Uh, I was told we had financing in 2014. We didn't start. Sh- no. No, I guess it was like eight or nine months. It wasn't a full year. It was like eight or nine months from the time that they told me. So, well, let's be know. honest. Let's be honest. In film years, yeah, <laughs> nine, nine months is a blink of an eye, isn't it? It's like if somebody, that, is over, that is overnight in, in film it years. Is. It is. It is. But it was a fascinating time, and it was a fascinating script to kind of have all these meetings from. And it did. I had two two things, and then a third thing that were getting me a lot of meetings. And this, this uh, Jackals was one of them. It wasn't called Jackals. It had a different title at the time. What, what do you think it is about? What was it about the screenplay? Do you think that that people were interested in in terms of what, I mean, what was exciting people about what you'd done? Do you think? I don't. I don't know. I mean, it was just. It was one of those. I. I. Same kind of story as the when you go in and they say we like this, but we want to change everything. Um, I think that. It, Sometimes when you have a really, really solid idea, like a high concept idea, when you have yeah. something that just you you know that like, oh, this is this is lightning in a bottle. This is something like, oh, my God, you, you, you almost kind of clutch it to your chest and make sure that nobody sees it. Or like, you know, Charlie Bucket running through the streets with the golden ticket. You know, it's like you want to mm. make sure that nobody grabs it from you. Um, it really, you, you just kind of go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. This is, this is a, this is a really good idea. And it just seemed like in that instance, I was right. You know, I've had other times where I was wrong, where I thought, well, this is a great idea. And then I've written it and sent it out into the world and everybody's like, eh, it's, it's like a good idea, but it's not a great idea. We could live without this. But this one was one where just people were obsessed with getting it made. The producer on this one, Tommy Alastra, um, kind of hunted this thing down. Um, it was it had been optioned to two other places back to back, and right. he just kept chasing it down. He kept chasing it down. And I, I the thing I didn't know about his kind of passion for it was that he was like talking to the people that had optioned it about buying it. He was like, "Look, can I just buy it from you?" Wow. It was weird. It was like, well, that, how that, that would be unusual, wouldn't it, really, in this and, day and age? And, yeah, it was incredibly unusual, and I didn't know. Like, he was like, no, 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 I, I'm going to make this. Like, you, ca- you keep optioning it to other people, but I'm going to make this movie. Like, I, I can make it. I have the funding, and I have the partners, and we, we want to do this. So I kept kind of going off with other people, you know, and, and trying to get it made. And um, just happenstance, really. And then he would find out it got optioned to someone else, and it would be like, oh, Hey, I'm going to get this made because he hadn't, he and Tommy didn't really have any real feature credits before this. So I was kind of like, well, I'm going to go with this company because they've done stuff before. I'm going to go yeah, with yeah, these yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And so I didn't know who he was. And so it just seemed like, well, you know, you run into a lot of producers, fly by night people and, and, and people that just, you know, come in. I've had my share of producers that were just uh, con men. 
And I didn't know the difference. And he wasn't. He, he knew what he was doing, and he desperately wanted to make this movie. And no, so, no, tell me, no. I, exactly, I know exactly what you mean. It's the yeah. uh, everybody. Everybody can say they've got the best intentions, but not everyone. Right. Everyone can prove it. And for right. some reason, everyone seems reluctant to prove it. Yet, yeah. yet protest their innocence. You're like, and I did, and and you look him up on IMDb, and he had no. I mean, he's got a bunch of like development stuff now, but like at the time, he had like a, a documentary uh, on about Las Vegas, the, about the Strip, and and some other stuff. And I was like, well. These aren't features. These aren't movies. Like I've got Kevin Greuter wants to do this. Like this is a real movie. This is something that everybody's wanted to make for years yeah. and years. Um, so you know, how, how did how did, so then so when you got Kevin Greuter involved, when Kevin yeah. Greuter's going to be the director and the yeah. financing is coming, is, is this when the finances come into place, or was Kevin yeah. part of Kevin? Room? Oh, actually, so Kevin. Yeah, I mean, yes, yes, and no. Kevin was. Um, so there was a version of the movie that was going to happen with Darren Bousman mm-hmm. and. Um, Darren was on the movie for a year, but he was simultaneously working on Abattoir. Yeah, and yeah, um, he was shit. trying yet he was he was working on both. And so it was kind of a whichever one goes first kind of thing. And unfortunately, what happened was Abattoir went moved started moving forward, and then like the financing and everything came in for Jackal. So it was like, well, uh, you know. Sorry, but we're we're this is going to happen, and you know how it is. Like when that, when when those things start, it's like well, you can't, especially on an independent movie, when the financing falls into place and everything falls into place, like well, you've got to like we've got to do this. Momentum, so, momentum is everything. Yes, yes. So Kevin had expressed interest in the script uh, previously before Darren. He had mm-hmm. actually um, he'd wanted to do it. And I had heard that he wanted to do it, and I was working with Patrick Melton and Marcus Dunstan on another completely unrelated project. Right. And um, it's been called Blood that uh, is this on-again, off-again project that we've been working on for about five years now. And um, they're great guys, and they're amazing, and they wrote, for for listeners that don't know, they wrote uh, Saw 4, 5, 6, and 7. Um, and that they've also worked together on, on the Feast movies and the Collector and the Collection and uh, they, they, uh, the Neighbor. And uh, they're just they're great guys. And horror industry-wise and Hollywood-wise, they have amazing reputations for just being awesome, great, generous guys. We were working on this project together. I had written for that. They, they were producing and did the story, and I was working as the screenwriter on it. And it was this on-again, off-again thing. And at one point... Uh, like I said, the script was optioned and there was a company that was going to make it and they were looking at directors and they'd sent the script to Kevin Greutert and Kevin really wanted to do it. And so I didn't know Kevin at all. And I mm. knew Kevin had done Saw 6 and I knew he had done Saw 7, which by the way, is night and day. Like Saw 6 is amazing and Saw 7 is kind of eh, but you, you know that Saw 7 was this whole thing where he was supposed to direct Paranormal Activity 2 and then they, uh, the company, Lionsgate or whoever it was, Twisted Pictures, uh, pulled this contract thing on him where they were like, oh, we have you under contract to do another Saw movie and they pulled him off Paranormal 2. So Saw, Saw 3D was not a labor of love for him. Mm. But Saw 6 is easily one of the best sequels in that whole franchise. So, I mean, I was excited, but I didn't know, you know, I didn't really know his work at the time. So I called Patrick Melton and said, hey, Kevin Kreuter wants to do Jackals. And he said, dude, grab him. Grab him and don't let him go. Like, if you can get him to do your movie. And he was so, like, he sold me. He was like, "This, he's great. You're going to love working with him, and he is so good at this. And he's an editor. He comes from editing. He knows how to do, you know, he just knows how to, he's a filmmaker, and you've got, you grab him. 
So I told that company, you know, hey, I would love to talk about Kevin. And, and they like, yeah, Kevin's notes are great. He's got some really good ideas for this. And they told me what they were. I was like, wow, that sounds really good. I, I would love to meet with him. And then kind of time passed and nothing came of it. And the next thing I knew, Darren was on it. And so it just kind of, I don't know what happened behind the scenes, but it went from being Kevin to being Darren. And then Darren did Abattoir. We couldn't work with, we, Jackals ended up having to go without him. And so we went back to Kevin. And the interesting thing about that was it was different people. I was working with different people. Wow. So I had somebody recently tell me that in a, where, in a weird way, I got to pick the director for Jackals, which I, it's, it's true. I would never, ever kind of take that. I'm not a producer on Jackals. I don't have a credit. I didn't get it. You know, I'm, I'm not a producer on Jackals, but, um, I, uh, Tommy came to me when he got the script, when he, 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 he got a hold of the script and finally was going to make the movie. And he said, who do you think we should grab for a director? And I said, well, honestly, the person that excited me the most, uh, because Darren can't do it now, uh, would be Kevin Greuter. And so Kevin Greuter came in and he knocked everybody's socks off and was like, yep, this is the what guy. Do you, what do you remember? <laughs> what do you remember about the first conversation between you and Kevin about developing the script for screen then, you know, where obviously this is, this, this is, you know, it's, it's ready to go. It's finance based on, on a certain draft and everything. But obviously once Kevin comes in as the director and, you know, whether, whether yes. us screenwriters, excuse me, whether us screenwriters like it or not, it's, it is a director's right. medium. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the, what was that? What do you remember of that first conversation about, about what, what, what was, what was like a, what was a real positive note you got at that point? Well, there were definitely some, uh, like, edu- I, I will call them uh, 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 learning opportunities. Uh, yeah. You know, it was opportunities for growth um, because, A, I lo- he loved the script, and there was so much about it that he was excited to see. Like, I can't wait to shoot this. I can't wait to put this on film. But Kevin is an editor, and he's been in the industry for a long time, and he knows his stuff, and he's just a very wise individual. And he had a lot of practical notes and a lot of suggestions and a lot of things he wanted to do and change for the better that were film-based, that were kind of from experience. I know that this isn't going to work. I know that this would be the way to do this. You've got this here, and I, I, I know how much you love it. But <clears throat> Can you give us an example to... of a kind of what, well, was, what was good on the page, but then for, with, with Kevin's experience, he's going, look, if we do this instead, this will work better in, in, on the screen. The, the biggie is, um, and I, I guess this isn't much of a, it's not a spoiler because it's, it's interesting. It's, this is, it was a, it was an argument and a discussion and he had a whole thing about it. Um, in the original script, they're in the cabin and mm. when the cultists show up outside, um, they had a hunting rifle, the, the family. The family had a hunting rifle. They're in a cabin in the woods, so they have a, you know, it's like, well, you know, in a typical kind of American movie uh, yeah, trope, yeah, yeah. They, they have a hunting rifle. And so they had a gun the whole movie. And the first thing Kevin said was like, okay, look, you know, and again, couched in how much he loved it, how much he wanted to make things better, how much he wanted to add more character layers and all the stuff you want to hear from a director. He said, okay, but I really want to get rid of them having the hunting rifle. And I was like, my brain immediately kind of retroactively went through the whole script and was like, well, there's so much about this being kind of a standoff and a siege that 
if they're not, if the family isn't armed, I don't know why the cult doesn't just kind of kick the door in and smash the windows and kill them all. And it didn't make sense to me. And so he just kind of had this whole explanation about um, Kevin was the final editor on um, The Strangers. Okay. And so, uh, and by the way, the interesting thing about what, you know, talking about influences and stuff, I've been reading online, and I shouldn't be, uh, reactions to the trailer and such, and everybody, uh, a lot of people are saying like, oh, it looks like a ripoff of The Strangers, oh, it looks like a ripoff of Your Next. Those movies didn't exist when I wrote this script, <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's so frustrating to me. But anyway, Kevin worked on The Strangers, and he said that in the earlier cuts of the movie, they were a good 20 or 30 minutes into being, uh, you know, uh, attacked by the, the wackos outside, by the strangers, that all of a sudden Scott Speedman's character says, I'm going to go in the closet and get my brother's hunting rifle. Mm-hmm. And apparently at a test screening, howls of laughter. Just they couldn't believe that there was a gun in the house this whole time and they hadn't done anything with it. They hadn't gone and grabbed it. And so he said that one of the first things that they did was they actually took that. And as soon as the shit starts to go down, he cut to him running into the closet and reaching up into the box and getting the hunting rifle and loading it. And they had to edit around the whole movie about how he's got the gun. He said that they didn't do any reshoots, but that they really did kind of work the gun into earlier parts of the movie because in the writing, they just didn't want that character to have Firepower. They didn't want him to have a weapon mm. uh, up until that point. So it was one of these things where on paper, it sounded exactly right. But when, on, when they're sitting there watching and it's not working. So he said, look, I, this gun thing where they've got a hunting rifle for minute one of the siege, it just, I, I, don't, I don't like it. I ran into this problem with the strangers, and I feel like what we really should do is not... The only person that has a gun is the culty programmer, and he loses the gun almost immediately, and they don't have the gun. And he kind of talked me through how it was going to be more psychological mm. and how cult was going to be playing games with them and that they were going to be doing these kind of things you were going to have to figure out. And so it was like, okay, you know, and it became a much deeper, creepier situation uh, for the for the characters to be in rather than just... Uh, my kind of George Romero uh, putting nails and, you know, boarding up the windows and doors and, and, uh, and then aiming through slats and shooting at people and stuff like that, which is what I had. It really was more of a Night of the Living Dead kind of thing where they yeah. would just, kind of, you know, occasionally uh, aim the gun out the window and shoot at them. Um, and so once he did that, <clears throat> there were kind of cause and effect things that started to flow better and work better without the gun. Um, but there are a couple of things that there's a standoff scene in the movie that I still to this day kind of look at it and go, well, I don't really get why this is better without a gun, but I, but when, but no one's ever complained about it. Like I've, I've now watched it with a bunch of, with lots of different audiences at this point, uh, just like previews and press stuff. And I, and nobody asks me, nobody says like, it's, it's, it feels stupid to them, which is always like, you never want to hear the, oh, it's stupid. You know, it's always the worst criticism. Like, well, they, well you know, I think, I think, not- I'm going to say, I think, I think you've, given what you've already said, I think that's Ooh. what, that's where the problem solved is that they yeah. they are, the, the family are the representation of innocence. Yep. Obviously, Stephen Dorff's character as the D programmer is the hard nosed, yep. you know, no bullshit guys. Clearly he'd carry a gun. Yep. He's ready yep, for all. Yep, yep. He's ready for it all. It, it's the it's the getting rid of the gun early on 
So we had one, yeah. and it goes. So therefore, yep. the way you portray the family... I and mean, one of the things that I wrote when I was... Um, I mean, the review won't go anywhere until you've played at Frightfest. But yeah, I, can, I, I, can, I, can, I can give you some... some yeah. Because, because especially, actually, I can say something that for the people who... Anybody listening that, that watches the trailer and thinks maybe oh. this, is a, this is a derivative of, of Strangers, then, or even, or, or, you know, or actually what, made, what, what, what got me watching the film was, mm-hmm. is it's a home invasion movie with a difference yes. to me because instead of the typical, which obviously Strangers is, unsuspecting mm-hmm. people, mystery right. invaders, torture, you know, torture them mentally and physically, and then right. you know, going going for the kill, as it were. But they're not they're not invited now. Right. In your in your in, in jackals, mm-hmm. your f- victims effectively mm-hmm. lure their invaders to them by right. by obviously kidnapping uh, Justin. Right. If they had never kidnapped Justin, they never would have had any trouble. So it's like the, the normal the normal home invasion movie is that there's somebody outside and they're going to come and get you. Whereas yes. whereas your story is. There's somebody who wants something back, and now it becomes right. a home invasion, and that and that to me was a was a really interesting difference. And then and then the other thing is because you've got the bigger family unit, because obviously right. this was meant to be the deep programming. Right. You, you've also got this lovely thing, which is on on the one hand, it's a family drama, you know, that tragedy yep. that tragically backfires. Yep. Because you know their hope of a renewed relationship with Justin is destroyed yep. the minute they say the first words to him. Never mind. Yes. Never mind when the cult arrives. Yes. The minute he starts talking, they fall. Yep. They almost fall apart because right. the, the, the you know the things he says. Well, we won't yep. go into exactly, but the things he's saying <laughs> are not the kind of things that a son says to his mother or a father right. says to the to the mother of his daughter. Right. And right, so right, right, right. all those things are are already kind of making it move on different in different places than than, than the strangers, which is a lot more kind of just nihilistic of. You know, and especially right. the way that ends. You know, why are you doing this? Because you were in. You know, right, that, right, 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 right. Yeah, we didn't want that. Yeah, Jack, Jackal, yes. Jackals is not about. No, well, you, you're the unlucky ones. We could have gone a mile down the road, but you know, right. So, right. No, I, I was actually going to. Um, uh, I've, I've had a lot of great contact with the folks at Shout Factory because they're mm. distributing it here in the states. And um, at one point, I uh, pitched a uh, logline, uh, uh, like a poster tagline, which was. Um, their first mistake was taking him back. Their last mistake is letting him go. Mm. And they, they, they're kind of, they were kind of interested in that for a little while, but then they were like, well, you know, the poster image is the cult standing outside in the fog with the ax. And it's like, well, you know, <clears throat> who is he and all that stuff. So they, if it had been Justin on the poster, then they probably would have used it. But that was my, <clears throat> to me, like that's, that's the heart of it. That's the whole, that's the, and then the thing that, that adds to that is that he is their biggest problem. You know, it's, 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 yes, they've invited the cult. Yes. They've lured the cult there. Yes. You know, without meaning to, uh, all they want is, is, is Justin back, but Justin is the worst thing that, you know, the person that they're trying to protect is the worst part of this whole thing for them because he just wants to go back as well. And, you know, he's, he's turning them against each other and saying all these terrible things. And so that, that all those dynamics were, I think that that, when we, we were asking why did people, why were people so interested in trying to make it? Why was it, you know, why was it thriving as a script for so long? And I think that that's part of it. I think that those dynamics were exciting 
No, to, that's uh, definitely that's the that's one of the strongest points in terms of right. if you try and compare if you try and go okay what else is there out there the idea right. of someone who zealously doesn't react to the the positive thing that's happening to them in right. the slightest is right. is really really dramatic because you can imagine it's like not only have we gone to the trouble of paying for Stephen Dorff because I don't imagine he's free. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but, but no. Ne- now we're under threat from your your peers. Right. You're, you're not helping because you've not. Right. And it's a it is a beautiful thing that happens in the movie is that each each member of the family almost has a kind of go at it. You know, like yes. hey, look, yes. it's me. Look my face. And at no yes. point is he going, oh, I remember my other life. Now, right, right. From, right. from your from your research then, or from the way mm-hmm. you were designing Justin as a character. Mm-hmm. What what were you? What do you? What do you know? About, I mean, I can't. I, from a personal point of view, apart from if I'm addicted to heroin or something, you know, where actually right, there's, there's right. a physical dependency on something that I can't just be weaned. The idea of me yes. going to a cult, yeah, you know, effectively a club, <laughs> and mm-hmm. then being taken out of that club, mm-hmm. I'd be reminded that you know this is the person that wiped me nose when I was ten years old and had a cold. You know that. Kind right. Of, none of that's going on with Justin's character at all, is there? This, no. No. So what, no, was it, we, what was it about sort of brainwashing that you were able to tap into there? What was Well, I mean, we, Kevin and I, I, you know, uh, it was, I had been thinking about it and working on it for so long that I had all this stuff, all this kind of backstory and all these ideas about who each character was. And then Kevin and I really sat down when Kevin got on board and we were really moving forward on it. And we went through and wrote kind of little bios for each character uh, together, we sat down uh, and and had you know some glasses of wine and just kind of said, okay, let's talk about Samantha, let's talk about uh, you know Campbell, let's talk about Justin. Mm. And um, so there's all this great stuff that no one's ever going to see that we you know put down on paper. Um, and honestly, it was you know I mean I don't want to get too spoilery because there's stuff in the movie about why you find you know what it is, but it really he was kind of pushed out, you know, he was, there was a family falling out and he didn't know where to go. And he came across these people that said, Hey, you know, uh, come with us. We like to party and have a good time and we accept you. And then once you're kind of brought in under the pretenses of it being something that's going to be fun and something that you're going to be around like-minded people or that, Hey, this is great. Or, Hey, I can, I can get laid or I can do, do, do drugs or whatever it is. Uh, you know, whatever kind of fun indulgence that they're offering. Um, and then they start in with the brainwashing, which involves, you know, slow, deliberate uh, selections of uh, food where they kind of remove protein from the diet and they start making suggestions and they start talking to you about things certain ways and they start talking about them repeatedly and they start doing things to get into your head and negative reinforcements. And so there's all of these tactics that can be used to brainwash people. Um, and when you're already kind of halfway there anyway, it's like, you know, you look at the Manson family and it's like, well, why did all these people do these things for him? You know, did Charles, Charles Manson himself didn't really kill anybody. Hmm. Um, but he certainly got, a, you know, a, a, a small group of people to do some horrible, horrible things on his behalf. And so we were fascinated by that in, you know, I'm a big slasher movie guy. I love slasher movies, but, you know, slasher movies always had the 
the terrible humiliation or the terrible tragedy uh, that happened 15 years before or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, that stuff was all great, but I really wanted to get into the psychology of why someone becomes a completely different person um, and what circumstances would kind of lead to that. Um, now, the interesting thing about jackals that I've always people have talked about um, is that we don't see Justin the way he was before. Mm. We we hear about it. It's discussed. The the other characters talk about it, and clearly they love him, and they're willing to you know put a lot on the line uh, uh, for this for this deprogramming. They're going to get him back, as it were. Everybody has their own motivations um, for doing that, as you find out as the as the movie progresses. Um, but, uh, we don't see him. We don't know. All we see is this monster. You know, all we see is this horrible, horrible, uh, you know, uh, waste, this human waste that he's like, well, just let him go. I'm like, why would you put your neck out? So it's interesting. I don't think it's a flaw. I think it was a very deliberate choice. It's just something like, well, these people clearly cared about. So you kind of have to fill in the blanks psychologically and say, okay, well, you know, and you've got the mom and she's got the pine cone on the shelf and the pictures and you know, Campbell's talking about uh, the whole thing with, oh, there's an owl that's going to kill you in your sleep and all this great stuff. Um, <clears throat> so you find out about what he was like before and how he was kind of a peace and love, you know, kind of John Denver listening guy uh, before he became a, a horrible brainwashed monster. But um, but that was really that was that was another thing that was going to be fun to do and to have those deprogramming sessions. Um, where Jimmy would be kind of trying to break him down and, and talking to him and trying to get to him and, uh, and telling him what he knows and telling him what he knows about the cults and what he knows about who he was before. Um, sadly, you know, some of that stuff had to get kind of pared down. Um, there's not as much of that stuff in the movie as there was in the old versions of the script. But <clears throat> again, if it's... The, there's nothing, there's no big scene in the deprogramming stuff that is gone. Like all the deprogramming stuff that was ever in the script is, is in there. It's just that there was more of it. And I think that, you know, it got a little bit too talky or it got a little bit no, too... No, 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 you can, you can you see, know. you can you, you get what you're describing as being who the characters are and what the, the different... Because, yeah. I mean, in, in, in my review, I, just, I opened it up with saying... You know, it's about a dysfunctional family. You know, it is, yes. they, they are, they have, it's not, it's not dysfunctional in, 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 in a, in a kind of, um, logarithms, but they're definitely estranged and they've, and they've yes. decided against all their best judgments to do right. this one gesture, which is get him back. Yep. And, and, and it all goes to shit is the yep. thing. And obviously, cause, cause they weren't a strong unit to start with. Right. You've, you've got, you've got, you're able to play through the confrontation of the um, of the deprogramming, that right. what has what has made them estranged? So obviously, Justin being a root of that cause, right. but then but then the lovely thing is then is because of the cult, this 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 unit that aren't working together are suddenly right. forced with the prospect of well, we either fight amongst ourselves, right, which obviously goes nowhere, or we <laughs> we fight what's what's trying to get us, and that becomes yes. the cult, um, right. One of the one of the things that I, that, that was and, and again it was something I pointed out when I was I was writing the review of it and I just thought it was a, and this is about the cult now not about the family is sure. that that beautiful that beautiful scary moment where um, where we begin to understand the, the 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 amount of people that are outside the house right you know the the silhouettes of the uh, of the animals yes 
the animal yes. mask heads and stuff coming out. It's almost like misty right. dark, isn't it? That's the kind of setting yes. that you get. It's like a misty dark, isn't it? So it's like yes. it's like it's almost like one, two, three, or however many it is. And it's like what right. what you've done there is it's like it feels like we're seeing almost like at the same time as the family are seeing how maybe insurmountable this problem is. Right. And, right. Right. You know, right, right, there's right. no there's not like we're we're not you, you didn't you didn't do the whole kind of Meanwhile, there's a load of people outside and there's some people inside. It's like we right. get we get to experience the revelation as right. as the family do, which I thought was a really neat thing because it kind of it plays with the tension, doesn't it? Now? Yes. No. And it was a risky thing, I think, because, you know, <clears throat> again, talking about whether or not, uh, you know, do you have three people like the strangers, you know, or do you have a handful of people like you're next or something? Um, and it was always like, no, 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 we don't know. You know, at one point there, somebody, uh, uh, Deborah Kara Unger's character says like, they're, they're everywhere or they're all around us. And you really don't know. And there's, I mean, you know, you've seen it. There's a couple of scenes where it's like, wow, there are a lot of these, guys. <laughs> there, are, there are a lot of them. And, um, you know, it was to me, that was scarier. Uh, but it was a risk because sometimes, you know, if there are 12 Michael Myers, uh, you know, outside, I don't know if that's scary, uh, if that's scarier than one Michael Myers. I think one Michael Myers is, is terrifying enough. Yeah. Uh, but the, so it was definitely kind of, again, it was something that talking to Kevin and looking at how it was edited and written and, and everything, like it, I, I think it works, but it really was one of those things where it's like, well, if there's a big, you know, concert of people, if there's a, if there's an amphitheater of people outside, is that still scary? <laughs> Um, but I think, I think it plays, I think, cause it was always, it was a risky thing. It was always kind of a question mark. Do you want to just show two or three of them at a time? Or do you want to have that many of them, you know, ready to, to do whatever it takes because you know, it's, it's, it's hopeless. Um, and so I, I am definitely, uh, I'm glad that that plays. I'm glad that it, that it, that it works. No, it, 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 it really helps. I thought it really helped build, build the sense of dread because, Right. Because because it's 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 it, you, you 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 hold on. It's a bit like the shark, isn't it? In Jaws, if you don't show it for yes. ages, there's a. It's what we don't know. We fear. So right, right, we right. got we get the sense. You know, you you have to be an idiot not to understand that there's more than one. But, right. But what does more than one mean? Two, three, seven, right, right, seventeen. Right. You know. So yeah. But once, that, once but that, again, Deborah. Deborah's character says, uh, "Are there three of them, or are there thirty of them?" You know, she. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's, yeah, she's, yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't know. Yeah. Now, when when you were sort of, I mean, because like I said, I I, I I nailed them as being dysfunctional, but it is a it is a very beautiful thing. You've got you've got separated parents, you've got a teen mum who drops out of school, you've got, right. and and without having to do anything more with those characters, we already have a whole host of backstory for our imagination to fill, don't we? With those just with those right. summary points yeah. that we get in the film, which makes yeah. for, makes for an interesting sort of d- dynamic, doesn't it? And, yes, and, well, and, I, I, I hope it does. Yeah. No, totally, totally. Yeah, and and and, and, and my favourite being being Campbell because in in a kind you of like sim, in a sim in a sim, sibling way, right? Anyone that's got siblings, even though you know I haven't got a brother that's that's joined the death cult or anything, but you know we <laughs> we we all we we all crave our parents' approval and attention. Yes. Yes. And, and here we are as adults, and all the attention's on the other sibling. So right. Campbell's reactions felt real to me in in the way Thank that he de- the way that he deals with a the original situation and even when the shit hits the fan he yes. still he still doesn't really let it go. 
No, 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 absolutely not. In fact, things seem to get kind of worse for him. Yeah. <laughs> the, the longer he's there, kind of the more that it's all kind of falling apart for him. But um, no, and it's great because that's, I mean, he's a uh, Nick uh, Rout, who played the character, is so good. And he is, when we were on set, he was so nervous about, like, how much are people going to hate this guy? Like, how much, it's almost like the like the Bill Paxton, you know, like the aliens, like Hudson or something. It's like, how much are they going to hate me? And I have found that people are really responding to him the same way that you are, which is like such a relief to me because you don't know if people are just going to be like, wow, I, I, you know, I've, I'm a horror movie guy. There are characters in movies sometimes where you're just kind of watching going, okay, I can't wait for this person to die. Mm. Uh, you know, like uh, in the Friday the 13th and Marcus Nispel's uh, Friday the 13th uh, reboot, um, what's his name? Van Winkle, uh, the, the kind of slimy dude that, that, that is, you know, uh, cheating on his girlfriend and that whole bit, he was waiting for him to die. Um, and I was hoping that that wasn't the case, uh, uh with Campbell, but I definitely, you know, uh, the, the honesty of the characters is something that I put a lot into. And again, having 10 years to keep working on the script, it was always like time to beef up, you know, to give somebody a little bit more. Uh, material or a little bit more dialogue or a little bit more of a of a character beat and thankfully again because we were making an independent movie and because we had Kevin Greider there all that stuff was really rich and all that stuff was really worked on and worked through and it's there on the screen thank thank God it's it's all still there well no I mean I mean yeah, I mean this is this is may, this is maybe you know give, this is this is high praise if, 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 if as an example goes but one of the best what best examples I can think of is is Franklin in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh where, yes, where he's such an annoying get, but but it is, it's 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 based on the fact that A's in a wheelchair and B it's his sister, so it's like it's right. it's those kind of arguments are different than if you and me have an argument, you know. We right, there's right. No, there's the, the the things we, we don't have the unconditional bond or the the kind of blood bond that that siblings do, and I think in drama that's often the thing that gets that gets that gets blown blown away sometimes too easily. Right. That, right, right. That, that, you know, sibling. I make it sound like I've really fallen out. My brother, I haven't. We get on really well. Um, <laughs> but, but it's that kind of thing where you can easily fall out over the slightest thing because actually you go, do you know what? All the other bloody things because you've right. you've, you've lived with them all your life. And again, that's right. what I like about the, the. That's what I'm liking about your Campbell character. So it's interesting. That I guess I guess from your point of view, you've written him, and you're kind of going, I'm, when you're purposely writing someone who's acting like what would appear to be an arsehole because he's he's <laughs> He's clearly not pulling in the same direction, but actually, right. it's it's perfectly rational. So therefore, it's not he's not being antagonistic, which is different no. than, than no. if he'd have said, "Look, you know, everyone come in, you can have him." Right. That would be that would be a reason to hate him. But he's not. He's no. he's he's caught no. between the devil and the deep blue sea, and yeah. you, and you can see that. And he's kind of going, and then in his head, he's kind of going, "And if you weren't fucking here, Justin, none of this would bleed and happen." Right. Right. Right, exactly. No, he and he's the right. He's the he's the Harry Cooper of uh, of jackals. He, you know, Night of Living Dead, the mm. the the guy that keeps insisting that they go in the in the basement and all this stuff. He's right, you know. Mr. Cooper, as 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 much of a of an asshole as he is, and as much as he's a you know, he comes off as a little bit racist, and he comes off as as being someone that you just do not want to side with. And he and his wife bicker and and everything. He's just such a loathsome character. But he's right, you know. He's absolutely right about what they should do. And like I said uh, when we first started, it's like with Campbell. Campbell's kind of the guy that is saying, "Here's what we should do. 
And, you know, for everybody has their different reasons for not wanting to do his kind of cold uh, reaction. Uh, you know, the kind of the logical thing would be to do this. Hmm. And because emotion is involved, because, you know, familial ties are involved, because of, you know, all the different aspects of why they're there and what they're trying to do. Um, and the arguments are in the movie. The arguments are there about like, well, we don't know that that wouldn't solve these problems. So, you know, yes, that is a suggestion that we don't like, but also you don't know if it would really work. Um, so, but he is the one that is kind of saying like, eh, the best thing for us to do would probably be just to give him back. You know, mm-hmm. and so and it's but it's an interesting you know uh, thing to play and also just to play it out. Like the other thing that was I, again, I'm, I I feel so lucky that the movie kind of turned out the way that it did and that it got to stay the way that I always wanted it to be. At least you know after a certain point, um, was that to have all the character stuff stay intact, mm. not have it turn into a different kind of movie. It would be very easy to turn this into, uh, you know, a balls to the wall kind of action thing. Mm. Um, but like you said, it's a drama. It's a drama first and foremost. Um, and you know, it's got a couple of moments of, of lev- you know, little, uh, moments of humor, but it's, you know, just kind of bleak and, and serious. And these people are, you know, they're already going through this awful thing with the deprogramming. And so when you add, you know, where they're at, the vulnerability of where they're at and how far they've come to get to this place, you know, that's the other thing. It's like, we haven't seen Justin. We haven't seen when the family was great. You know, we haven't seen the good times. There are pictures on the wall. At one point, there's this nice little moment where Chelsea Ricketts, uh, Samantha, she's looking at the the picture of little Justin, you know, on the, on the wall. And you kind of get a sense of how good things used to be, but that they're not anymore. And, um, you know, it just, uh, it's, it's a psychological thing. And so that's the thing. I hope that the trailer doesn't, I mean, you can't help it when the trailer kind of gives off a different kind of impression of what the movie's going to be. I hope that the trailer doesn't mislead people. I hope that if they are misled by the trailer, that they're, they're happy with what they get from the finished movie. Because to me, I think the trailer's kind of selling a different kind of movie than what it is, a little bit. It's, it's mostly there. I don't feel like it's... I like the trailer. I think the trailer's fine. But I think that the trailer is kind of selling this other plot that isn't really a part of the movie. Well, I suppose, uh, I suppose the, tra- the, trailer, the trailer is the kind of... is, is, the, is what is the, essentially the, the second half, isn't it, really, in a way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, you know, and I, I know that you have to sell a movie and you have to do it a certain way, and marketing is marketing. Because you've got because your opening your opening scene mm-hmm. is is um is is like it's almost like a slasher film, isn't it? It's yes. like yeah, 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 yeah. So that was interesting. The 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 opening scene. So we we shot the movie in December of 2015, um, and uh, we did 15 day shoot. I was there for 10 of those 15 days. Um, and I had a really, really great time uh, bonding with the actors and talking to them about their characters and talking about other movies they'd worked on, talking to Deborah Kara Unger about, um, about um, you know, working with David Fincher and working with David Cronenberg and all this great stuff. But I had a good time talking to them about their characters and everything else. And um, we put that version of the movie together uh, in early 2016, and started uh, having just very, very quiet kind of private test screenings of it uh, that we were having where we were talking to people. But one of the problems with the movie was that it was very short. Okay. Uh, 
it was clocking in at about 72 minutes or something. Um, I saw a bunch of different cuts. I saw a cut that was 68 minutes long, and it was insane. It was just like cut to the bone, and I kept telling them, put this back, put things back. They did eventually put some things back in. So what ended up happening was um, in June or July of 2016, we actually did additional filming. Now, we didn't reshoot. We didn't, you know, when you have like Rogue One or something, you know, or, oh, no, they reshot everything or Justice League or something. This isn't a situation where we went back and reshot huge chunks of the movie because it was having problems. Um, we did, we, there was money in the budget to do additional filming. You always kind of hold reserves for if you need to go out and do anything extra. It's a normal practice. And um, the movie was too short, and we were getting reactions from uh, people that were, you know, test, test audiences. Mm-hmm. So we kind of took all that into consideration, and we sh- I wrote, like, we were fully involved, wrote three new scenes and we shot them in two days in June or July, six months after we shot the movie, we shot three new scenes. Um, and one of them was that opening scene. It's a really, really long story to get to why the opening scene is there. No, no, um, no, 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 it's not, that's really interesting. So, no, it's, it's, a, it's yeah, the idea so, that it was born out of developing yeah. the movie still. That's the point. Yes. That's, that's yeah. That was, it was interesting. So the, I was living with a cut of the movie for six months. It was really weird. It was a really interesting thing. And then all of a sudden we were like, well, let's, let's shoot some more stuff. This is just too, you know, and I was kind of like, well, I'm pretty satisfied with this. This is pretty good. I had a temp score with temp sound effects and stuff. But I was like, well, this is, this is pretty good. And it looks like a real movie. I'm impressed. But they were like, yeah, it's too short. We should shoot some stuff. So um, the opening scene, I, you know, it's one of the only things in the movie that I'm kind of like, well, what does this have to do? Like I watching it, watching it as an audience member. I'm kind of curious, like, what the hell does this have to do with the rest of the movie? Um, and it, it does. I mean, thankfully, there's enough there. I think you, that you're given enough raw materials to kind of mentally to kind of look at it and say, well, I get it. Like, the cult has a nasty habit of sending their cult members back to their families and killing them. Like, I, you know, that's that's kind of what you get out of that opening sequence. But... I think that it was in the original inspiration for that scene was to have when we first, first meet um, Justin and uh, he's in a car with, with his buddy Mm. and uh, they're driving down the road. I wanted to do what they were doing just before that. And um, so it was going to be a similar scene and it was going to be clearer that it was what they were doing just before we see them driving down that road, all bouncing up and down in the car. Mm. Uh, and then it kind of, we just, there were discussions and Kevin and I were talking to the producers and it just, it became this other kind of thing that turned into kind of a Halloween uh, homage. Mm. And so it was fine. And it was just, it was there to really kind of, um, I wouldn't just say the pad, the running time, because it's an intense sequence. I mean, everybody, anytime I've seen it, people just lean forward in their chairs and they get really nervous. I mean, it's definitely, it's an effective sequence. Mm. I just, I just don't know what it really has to do with the rest of the movie. When I watch it, like as a, as a critical minded person, it's like, well, eh. and then the other two scenes, uh, the audience honestly wanted more Steven Dorff. So there was an additional Steven Dorff scene that was shot. And, um, and then there's, uh, without getting spoilery, there's a, there's an additional Campbell scene um, and since you've seen it, I, I don't want to give it away, but it involves uh, vehicles. Okay, okay, yeah. That was not in the original cut of the movie. That okay. Scene. So that was a reshoot. That was something that I said, well, we could, because they were, they were, we were exploring ideas, like what were things that happen off screen? What were things that, you know, you, that are talked about but we don't see? 
And so that was one of them. It was like, well, you know, you know that there's an opportunity to do this. And everybody kind of went, oh, oh, well, what do you have in mind? And I said, well, I always, you know, imagined that he went off and did this. And so I wrote that. And I think it's one of the better scenes in the movie. I, 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 I showed it to somebody whole, uh, you know, the, the final version of the movie. And they were like, oh, I know you did reshoots. I said, yeah. They said, well, which, which stuff? And I said, this, this, and this. And when I got to the Campbell thing, they were like, really? Like, I, that seems like a really important, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. a really important sequence. It's just really intense, and it really does kind of beef up that part of the movie. But it was an interesting, again, just to be involved with that. Like, when you, when I, you know, I'm, I'm really good friends with Daniel Ferens, who wrote Halloween 6. Hmm. And when they went off and did all those crazy reshoots on Halloween 6 and just completely, you know, jettisoned the third act and, and, and came up with an entirely different thing, they didn't ask Dan to write that stuff. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? They, they brought in somebody else to write that stuff. And usually when you're doing, you know, quote unquote reshoots with a, with a negative, you know, with a frowny face, um, it's, it's usually something where something bad has happened or the movie isn't playing or the movie isn't testing. And so it's like, yeah, okay. So we need to bring in some fresh blood. We need to bring in some other writer who isn't, you know, precious about everything to do this. But it was me. All those scenes were written by me. And, um, I, like I said, I, one of them, I think, is one of the best scenes in the movie. So uh, I'm, I'm, you know, pleased that they, that they really worked out. But that opening sequence um, definitely is, uh, I mean, what, do you, what, what was your opinion of it, watching it, and then seeing where the movie goes? What was your reaction to that? Well, I haven't got the same history with the scripts and the screenplay as you. So for right. me... Yeah, nor, nor will anybody else watch Exactly, it, so. exactly. So for me, and obviously, you're, what, I mean, anybody who listens to this will maybe see it uh, with, with knowing, knowing that, was added, that was added in. No, yeah. for, for me, it just, it told, it told me, this was, it gave me the evidence of the murderous cult. So when, there we go. when we're interrogating Justin, right. we don't need anything more than what we've already seen to understand how dangerous the cult is. The fact that he's, right. an, the fact that he's, an, he's, he's not, he's not phased by his mother or his father or his brother or the mother of his child or his child. is just reinforcing the fact that this cult will send you to kill. If he's saying, I'm going to, they'll come and rape you. They'll kill you. They'll sacrifice right. you. That is, right. that's the same language as somebody who would go into there, which is the opening sequence, who would go into the right. house. And, and arguably what my thought was, is is that it could have been a you know like what you call it um, rites of passage seems like the wrong word but maybe that's what I mean yeah. you know like gang, nope, you know nope. like, you know yeah. like gangs work gang initiation gang initiation yeah yeah totally. so yes. so, yes. Cult, so cult initiation was was yes. what I what I figured because yeah. I, I, won't, I won't spoil it people that had it but there's a moment in that opening sequence that yes. really that really subverts expectations yeah and and then it delivers on expectations as well so it, there it, you it, go. And so for me, no, it worked. It didn't. It didn't. You nailed it. It, it didn't. You nailed jar. It. That was yeah. It, like the, I said, we, the, only, the only thing, the only thing it does is it. is it sets an expectation of the a, kind a, of movie that you're a, not going to get of a slasher film. That's, that's about it. <laughs> if it's if it's if it's got a crime, that's it. But yes. but, the, but the fact is that you, you don't dwell on that. It is it's right. still opening sequences can sometimes be you know yep. at, at odds with the rest of the movie just to get you into the frame of the mind, you know. James Bond yeah. films don't carry on the way the opening sequences, do they? You know. Exactly. Exactly. No. No. And I, you know, and I'm, I'm, you know, the 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 cold open kind of scream esque opening is something. It's kind of a cliche, and I was hoping to avoid it. And the movie, again, for for six months uh, finished, it opened with the 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 scene in the cabin, mm. which 
Campbell playing darts and mom, you know, sipping wine at the window and, and the baby crying. Um, and that was how it opened. That was how the, the, the opening scene. Um, and, you know, I was kind of happy about that. And then, of course, you know, because I... I've been asked many times with scripts to add the perfunctory uh, cold open, scream-esque cold open, where you kind of get a mini version of what you're in store for at the beginning, you know, in the first ten pages. Show me it's a horror it's film. Like, show me it's a horror yeah, film. Show me it's a horror film, you know, show, show people what they're going to get, but, you know, let them get a little taste of it, and then, you know, 20 pages later, 20 minutes later, they'll get the real movie. Um, and I've always kind of avoided them. Um, as much as I can, I tend to fight against them. And so with this one, you know, it was like, I was hoping we wouldn't have to do one. And then it was too short. It's like, well, let's have an opening sequence. Okay. And then it just turned into a discussion that I had the idea that to, to do that. And it is, you're absolutely right. I mean, I don't want to give it away, but yes, the, the gang initiation thing was exact. So it's a relief to hear you say that because that's exactly what was intended. Well, it's, was, it's, it's either gang initiation or it just simply right. reinforces the fact that this is an evil murderous cult. So right. the, the, fact, that give, the fact, fact that it gives you that information, when mm -hmm. we meet Justin, we right. understand what the problem is without yep. having to go... Because if you don't do that, then in a way, you could get caught up in having to do a lot of conversation Yes, uh, where family yes. characters are going... Well, you remember what it was like before you left, and you joined that cult, and <laughs> right. blah, you know, you know, and then exactly, you know, you know, you know it yep. was, you'd end up having to do, go and do all that, which you've you've, you've avoided through this way. Well, look, okay. sir, uh, let, one last thing. Um, yes. it's going to be the European premiere at Fright Fest for Jackals. Excellent. So um, that's a big that's a big deal. I don't know. Are you are you able to come over? For, are you going to come over for the screening? I am not, sadly, and I really wish I was. I it was. It sounds so cool, and there are so many other. I have colleagues. I have people that I, I am friends with who have other films. Well, just uh, just to give you just to give you some scene setting, then I don't know how. Have you been yeah. to Have you been to London before? Never. Okay. I would have. I would have loved to have gone for this reason. It would have been amazing, but I just couldn't. Couldn't pull it together. So just so you know, where you're going to be premiering this film mm -hmm. is Leicester Square. Now Leicester Square. Whenever you see in the news yes. a big, a big gala <laughs> of a screening premiere, mm -hmm. and it's in Leicester Square. That's where it is. Uh, so you're, uh, oh, you're, oh, man. you're going to be at one of the cinemas that is <laughs> where the big, the big galas go. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty big oh. deal. So great. That's so, so great. No, and I saw that it sold out. It sold out like weeks ago. Yeah. And I, I am so excited. I'm so, I wish I could be there. That sounds incredible. And I, I am so, it's, it's, I've got butterflies. You're telling me that. It's so great. And like I said, too, I mean, not only, and it was the Friday, it's like the Friday night, seven o'clock or, or eight o'clock show. And it was like, wow, okay, wait a minute. Like, that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It, yeah. No, it's it's huge. A... I, I can't believe it. I'm, I'm floored because, again, this is my first thing and I am so honored. And so, and I've, uh, the other thing that's cool is um, I'm really good friends with Graham Skipper, who has a movie called um, uh, Sequence Break. Yes, that's he, also he's, playing. He, he's been emailing while I've been talking to you. <laughs> he's so great. He's fantastic. Um, I love Graham. And then um, I just uh, managed to see 68 Kill oh, from Trent I can't wait to see that one. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And I saw it just Friday night, this past Friday night. And Trent and I have known each other. We worked on a project together years ago that never came to be, of course. And um, he's a good guy. And uh, uh, the movie's so good. So, like, not on. And then there's other, other movies in, that, in, in the festival that I am just like, whoa, Jackals is going to be next to those movies. You know, mm. and it's like it's such as I get so charged. 
so yeah, I really wish I could be there because I have friends that are going to be there, and they're they're so excited, and I'm so proud to have Jackals side by side with those with those it, movies. And is, 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 is anybody from the film going to be there? Do you know? Um, I don't know. That's a really good question. If anybody, Tommy Alaska would probably be there, the producer. Okay. Um, but I don't know if they've got, uh, I haven't been told if they've got any cast or, or anybody. I'm sure they would all love to be there. Okay. Um, I know Jonathan Sheck. Jonathan Sheck is such a great guy and he's so good in the movie. Um, and he's a, he's a horror screenwriter on his own as well. And, uh, I know that if, if anybody would, kind of be uh, red carpet worthy and show up and, and really support the movie, it would be him. I, I hope he's going, but I don't. I haven't heard if anybody... Well, look, uh, one, one, last, one last thing for you then. We, yeah. Before we were talking, you were, you were telling yes. me about your, um, your earbud theatre, is it called? Oh, well, thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> so let's, awesome. let's, um, let's, let's just add a little, little preview. Yeah, I'll, put some, yeah, I'll, put, so, I'll put some links in the, in the show notes so people can, absolutely. can, can click um, on it. So tell us about what that you. is very quickly. EarbudTheater.com is the website, and Earbud Theater is something that uh, Casey Wolf, uh, who's an executive, put together years ago. They are uh, incredibly well-produced audio dramas, and so they are science fiction and fantasy and horror uh, in kind of the Twilight Zone, uh, creep show, Tales from the Crypt kind of vein. Perfect. And they are done. They're just audio dramas, and we bring in these great actors, and uh, uh, we have amazing sound people that do the sound design, and uh, they're on iTunes as well for free. And um, I've directed three or four, no, four of those now, I guess, um, The Creaky Stairs and On the Line and um, Are You Sleeping and uh, Trails the four that I've done. I've also done voice acting for other episodes. They've called me in to come in and do other stuff for them. Um, but they put usually up to about like one a month, one new episode a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I am extremely proud of those. And that's kind of where I get to play where I don't have to, they just let me do, I mean, they, they obviously they kind of, we give them notes and stuff, but it isn't like having to go through a whole process of development and having to go through process of dealing with notes coming from everybody uh, this is something where you have to tell a story that works as an audio drama and that hopefully chills the spine and, and gives you a little thrill and uh, something to listen to uh, with headphones on uh, with the lights off. And uh, I'm extremely proud of those. And thank you for bringing that up. I would love it if people would give those uh, give those a little listen. EarbudTheater.com. And I think on iTunes, just look under pod podcasts or pod plays. We'll, and it would be we'll, under we'll, here. we'll put your links in, in the show notes. So don't worry. Then. I will send you some. Great. Thank you. Well, look, thank you very much for giving us your time. You're very generous Absolutely. talking to Brit Thank Flicks. you. No, this uh, is great. It was uh, an absolute pleasure talking to you. Congratulations on pleasure. your, oh, first, thank your you. first produced screenplay. Thank um, you. I'm, I'm still on that road, so uh, I'll, I'll, let you know, <laughs> I'll let you know when I join you at the bus stop. Please keep me posted. Then we can do a reverse. I can, we can go on your show and I'll ask you questions. <laughs> That's not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. <laughs> no, I would love to do it. I would love to do it. All right, buddy. Well, look. Thanks, we, Record is off. You have been listening to the Britflix Fright Fest Preview Podcast.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina. 